Who is the most living largest? Who is the most living hardest? Who is the most living largest and hardest? Who is the most living large and hard? Here he is. Hi there. This is Living Large and Hard. And this is another episode in a series of my brushes with fame. As I've said in all of them, I'm not really one to be starstruck. Occasionally I'm surprised to see somebody out in, you know, gen pop. Um, usually, almost always. Uh, occasionally I've been stunned. Uh, do I ever really talk to them? No. Uh, with a few exceptions that were yes, but ordinarily no. I uh, just ran into a lot of famous people over time. Somehow. Lucky, unlucky. Uh, depending on how you look at it. I don't know why that would be unlucky. That was a pretty stupid thing to say. I guess just lucky. Some of them are famous famous. Some of them are not so famous. Some of them aren't famous at all. Like the son, like the uh, girlfriend of the son of the football coach that I screwed. I didn't screw the football coach or the son. I screwed the girlfriend of the son of the football coach. But he was famous. Believe me, that's as far separated as it gets. Um, tangential, as we say. Uh, this one's all about music, people. About music, people. Music, people. Um, are we six feet apart? Did I take my mask off? Okay. Because uh, I want you to really, you know, look me in the eye. Listen closely. All right. Let's kick this thing off. Now, there was an art exhibit by Christo in New York City called The Gates. It was in Central Park. And it was a series of hundreds maybe over, maybe a thousand some, of gates that were orange made of this billowing material. They were of different widths and heights, and they ran all over Central Park. Um, Christo also put fabric around some islands. He wrapped the Reichstag in fabric, the Pont Neuf. He set up a couple times a series of umbrellas um, running through the countryside. This stuff sounds pretty dopey, but it was pretty fucking cool. Uh, so we went to see the Gates, me, Slasky, Ben Edmiston, and uh, Pussy. And Pussy really tied one on. Um, I am someone who ties one on, but Pussy could always tie it tighter and longer and harder than I ever could. So he started on the bus ride on the way down, complete with bottles rolling on the floor. Um, on the way there in the morning. And so I went to see the gates. I believe Slasky, Mikey Slasky, uh, star of the Mikey Slasky interviews, parts one, two, three, which for some reason people in Germany really like listening to part two. And occasionally part three and never part one. I don't get it. I don't get why people in Germany are finding that out of the 90 episodes that I've done. And I really don't get why they're only interested in part two, but whatever. Such is the world. I can't figure everything out. So Christo did these gates, and we went up there to check it out. And like I said, it was, uh, it was really cool. As you walked around, you'd get different perspectives. Walking, they, they covered the walkways 
the gates. You can look it up. It's not, well, it's kind of hard to find stuff, which is pretty amazing. But gates, Central Park, you can see it. And like I said, they would billow. And they were tall enough that you walked under them all. But uh, you'd get different perspectives of these gates running along the different pathways and up and down and spaced at different um, spaces. That'd be the word I'm looking for. Um, so we went there, and then we split up. I'm not sure. I, I thought Slasky said they were going to the Metropolitan Museum, but when I interviewed him, he said, or talked to him about it, or interviewed, which is talking to him. Why am I confusing myself? Because it's not hard, that's why. Sorry I brought you along in that trip. He said they didn't go there. Anyway, Pussy and I went to this bar called Gostavino's, which is now just an event space. Very cool place. It's built underneath the 59th Street Bridge on the Manhattan side. There's actually a part, I don't know how tall the ceiling is, I haven't been there in fucking forever, um, because it's now it's an event space, not a bar. But you look up, and you're actually looking at the, through the top of this, you know, huge room going up, and then you can see a, a window, see the roadway. Um, arch tiles, made completely about arch tiles, which is why it's called Gostavino's. This is a famous Gostavino um, fireproof arched ceilings that are also in the Oyster Bar in Grand Central and the City Hall subway station that's been closed since 1970 that opened in, I believe, 1904. And you can still go down and see. You can either sneak in. You can look up how to do that on uh, YouTube. See some guys sneaking in there. Or you can just pay. I paid, went to see it. Fascinating. Loved it. So there's Gostavino vaulted tile uh, ceilings in there as well. The thing with the vaulted ceilings, it's like the whisper chamber in uh, Grand Central. You can go, you know, a pretty good distance, and because of the shape of it, you can whisper. And then someone at the other side of the arch can hear it. I distinctly remember hearing a cup and saucer clattering. I didn't know it was a cup and saucer. I just knew it was a um, plate. And, but then I looked. It was a cup and saucer. And it was a busboy about 25 feet away putting them in a bus tub and doing it quite delicately. But with the uh, acoustics in this place, you get, it sounded like they were standing right next to me. So Pussy and I are, are at uh, one bar, and there's a, the bar actually just ran, runs for a, a long, a long, long way. And at the uh, other part of the bar, sitting, facing half away from the bar, and looking totally 70s fabulous, even though it was uh, sometime in the early teen, uh, 20s, is Nick Ashford. Yeah, who he said? Ashford and Simpson. And now we're solid, solid as a rock. <laughs> well, apparently a lot of people, and it was Nick Ashford, women, older women especially, because they would come up and he would smile like, oh, hey, you recognize me. Yeah, because you're facing away from the bar and your hair's done up with hairy curls and you look a lot like yourself. 
uh, a, a time that I, I was shocked to see this person because of the way they looked. I was at the Highline Ballroom to see Brazilian girls and not a band of girls. There's one, and they're not from Brazil. But I really like their, uh, their music. It's interesting. You know, you can't beat lyrics like, Pussy, 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 marijuana. And saw them at Underground Arts. And I was front and center, like always. And I was so close to the lead singer that she uh, pulled the microphone stand back. I could actually feel the heat coming off her torso. Uh, and, but I did get to help her back on stage after she wandered around singing, Pussy, 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 Marijuana. She actually tapped me on the shoulder and, you know, like, get the fuck out of the way. I went, oh, let me help you. And um, then she got up there and she said, we have to play in Quebec tomorrow, so I'm done. And the band looked at each other and she walked off. And then the band said... Uh, they got together and talked. They went off, and you could, I could see them. It's underground arts. It's really small. You could see them confabbing off to the side, and they came back out, and they said, well, after a discussion, we've decided we're going to go on with the show. Does anybody know the lyrics? And a couple hands shot up, and there was a young woman, and they said, you, come on up. And I'll be damned. She knew the lyrics. She did a good job. She didn't just know it. She knew how to sing it. But after that bullshit, you know, with, with, with the lead singer walking off before the show's over, really had no, I have no intention of ever seeing uh, Brazilian girls again. So anyway, I'm there at the Highline Ballroom, and uh, I look and I see this weird-looking schmoo. Obviously had lots of plastic surgery, like lots. Real taut face, cheekbones jutting out, um, super smooth forehead. And I went, I'll be, I, that looks like, oh, I, I think that's Joe Jackson. Is she really going out with him? That guy. Pull up the phone, put in Joe Jackson, plastic surgery. Yep, that was him. Um, scuttling about, didn't really seem too interested in, the opening act of the show itself, and then he found himself a cute young man. Kind of settled down for the night. But yeah, that was one of those I didn't, ex I didn't expect to see. Number one, Joe Jackson. Number two, Joe Jackson with horrific plastic surgery. Not the worst plastic surgery I've seen, which we'll get to uh, in the ultimate, which you may not listen to last, but <laughs> it'll be the last one I'm doing is... Uh, the one that was like this fucking ground zero for famous people. You know, more than most of you people would ever see in your life. And they were all in one spot at one time. Just, I just happened to be lucky enough to be there. Now, first trip to London, mid-90s. And I'm in the city of London. And I hear this rattling cacophonous cacophony very metallic, um, obviously some kind of motorized vehicle, and it's echoing, so it's hard to tell where it's come from, because the city of London is like a city within the city, it's the financial district, and 
kind of like the financial district in New York, tall buildings close together, that kind of stuff. So it's hard to tell where it's coming from. Figure out pretty much where it's coming from, and through an intersection about a block away goes a tank with a guy sticking out of the top. Not a big tank, but a tank. You know, the treads and the, and the turret with the, yeah, he's sticking out of the turret, that's the word, uh, with the cannon. And goes through the intersection from our left. Let's look. All right, you're, you're kind of facing. And then turn to your right, and there's the intersection. And from your left, crossing the intersection to your right, is a guy in a little tank with his head sticking out of the turret wearing a helmet. And then people applaud. So I assume it's a local. <laughs> um, turns out it was Apex Twin, known for uh, electronic music. Better known back then. Uh, it just came out with something recently. It's the first thing I've heard from Apex Twin in forever. But it was pretty big back in that time, like uh, late 90s. So, yeah, you know, that's one of those. Like, I'm not out to be a star fucker, which is what the artwork says. But when you come across something like that, that's pretty cool. Um, I used to work for this company called Mr. Taco. And in random stupid dude shit, you'll hear me hear about me blowing up uh, a lard castle with fireworks. That was it, Mr. Taco. And used to throw tostada shells at the foundry next door over the fence. That was Mr. Taco. It also got hit by a truck when I was looking at the drive-thru and the whole top of the building twisted. That was Mr. Taco. And I was standing at the dish area and uh, a car came through the window and hit the, the uh, seat that was there and knocked it about three feet, shattered the glass. That was Mr. Taco. Um, almost got caught having sex in the office. That was Mr. Taco. And... So at Mr. Taco, I was working by myself, and two, or two, two tour buses pulled up, and I was not happy to see that because I was working by myself. So they pulled into the parking lot, and it turns out they pulled into the Mr. Taco parking lot because the McDonald's next door was a lot busier, and they didn't really have room, and it was easier to pull in to the Mr. Taco parking lot. And most of them went to McDonald's, which made me happy, but a group of them came in. And I could see on the tour bus, it was Judas Priest. And this was early 80s. So lo and behold, there's Rob Halford, you know, looking unmistakably like Rob Halford. And he asked for a bean burrito with enchilada sauce. Boys, you've got to have a bean burrito with enchilada sauce. So only he got one. The other guys, you know, kind of like, fuck you. So you don't expect to see Judas Breeze rolling in for bean burritos with enchilada sauce, uh, you know, while you're working. Courtney Barnett. Um, I love Courtney Barnett. And, oh, yeah, her singing, too. And... I heard Avant Gardner on the way from a Free at Noon in Philly concert. I was heading home, stuck in traffic, and I heard this song, turned it up, and I really, really liked it. It's called Avant Gardner. And 
since I was stuck in traffic, then I looked up where this person was touring and got tickets to see them at the knitting factory in Brooklyn. And very happy I did that because the knitting factory, which I mentioned before, very small venue, and uh, it wasn't even full to see her. And I just happened to be right up front, shocking, and it just happened to be the side that she plays on, left side of the stage. And from what I had heard of the music, I didn't expect her to be, she plays left-handed, plays guitar. She plays this weird finger-picking style, and she shreds. So it's really fucking cool, and it's only a trio. It's bass player, drums, and her. Um, so at the Knitting Factory, and opening act uh, hasn't even come on yet. And I look off to the right, and someone's over there, and it looks just like Courtney Barnett, which is why this is a, uh, um encounter with a famous person, even though she wasn't really famous at the time. She was famous in my heart. <laughs> um, anyway, if you go see her, it's, it's really great. I mean, she went from playing 200 occupancy venues to 1,000 to 1,500, and it got up to 3,000, didn't really fill them. So now her, her niche is, or niche, is right around 1,200, 1,500, and get up there. She's just so relaxed, so relaxed up there, and so chilled out. I mean, I saw her drinking a beer, and it went all over her face, and she just took her T-shirt and wiped it up, you know what I mean? Um, just plays, doesn't do the tune and talk thing, doesn't care if she's out of tune. She sings out of key anyway, half the time. Yeah, not that much. Just enough to be endearing. So anyway, over there is Courtney Barnett, who I, the first time I've seen her, I'd only seen pictures. And in the picture, she seemed shamed, she seemed kind of chubby, but she was looking pretty fit. And she was there to get her iPhone charger off the stage and talked to a couple of people, came by, and um, being a, a, a total fanboy, I, I, I made myself look like an idiot. Hey, aren't you supposed to be up there? And she looked at me like, shut the fuck up, old man and just kept walking. So I don't blame her for that. Usually, as you people may know from this and from real life, I have no trouble talking to anybody. But I flubbed that one. Whatever. Um, not far. Where's La Poisson Rouge? That's downtown in, in um, Manhattan. I was at Le Poisson Rouge to see Chibomato. I don't know if you've heard of them, but uh, they have this really cool video. It's a Japanese duo. Again, totally charming. Um, highly recommend seeing them too. It's a good time. But they have this video, Sugar Water, that if you really pay attention to, is really fucking cool. So I was there to see Chibomato and enjoyed the show. And afterwards, it's kind of a bit of a jam up to get out. And I look up in the VIP section. And coming down the stairs from the VIP section is a top hat. Pretty good sized top hat. With a little person wearing a suit type thing 
underneath the top hat coming down the stairs. It was Yoko Ono. And she was there with uh, Julian Lennon because he did, he used to uh, hang out with Chibomato, did a project with him. So, not a big fan, you know, Plastic Ono Band, that's all right. You know, spending a year in bed, that's pretty cool. Making John Lennon happy, that's all right. So, that was unexpected. Don't expect to see Yoko Ono anywhere. Now, this next one, I didn't really encounter this person. But I'm going to say it's a brush with stardom because this was their first U.S. show. And nobody knew that they were going to become one of the biggest artists in the world, at least for a bit. And when they did this show, they, uh, they said, I'll do everything I got, seven songs. It'll take about 45 minutes. And it was Lord. And why did I go see Lord? Because I like the way she sang Queen Bee and Royals. Again, driving around, I hear this song. And the way that, I mean, I like the way all of it sounded, but the way she sang just that, Queen Bee. And pulled the car over, got tickets. This one was at La Poisson Rouge as well. First time I'd been there. It's a downstairs venue. Get there. Not too early. Didn't expect anyone to fucking be there. There's a line around the, you know, there's a line up outside around, literally around the corner. So it sold out. It turns out there were record producers there and all that. Found that out later. And um, I will, I'm going to document the fact that I was there because I will show, I'll show you a picture of my bald head about 15 feet away from her. <laughs> Um, my head has ended up in so many concert, uh, either footage or still shots. I don't know why people, there's one, it was a Lee Scratch Perry concert. And the person who was doing the videoing actually seemed, because there was tons of room, they seemed to move behind me to get my head in the way. So I don't really get that. And there's other ones uh, where I know where I was. And so when I watch it, like at the Jack White show, which will be mentioned coming up, I can see my head shining there. And there's a Nick Cave one where he's singing from her to eternity. And there's a lady on a guy's shoulders and they, their hands, like the, the guy just put the chick on his shoulders and Nick Cave met, saw her. And so the guy started walking forward and then from her to eternity. And they're reaching out like she's reaching over me and Nick Cave's reaching over me. And I look at the video and there's my hand, my gnarled, you know, my arthritic gnarled liver spotted hand popping up there. Anyway. Anyway, that was Lord. That was a good show. She would, uh, I think she was barely 17 then. She might have still been 16, but I think she was. She just turned 17. And she went from playing Le Poisson Rouge, which is not very big. I think she did five nights at the Roseland Ballroom consecutive when that was closing down. And then she ended up, you know, just blowing up all over the world. Um, mentioned Nick Cave, because I always mention Nick Cave. Sometimes I'll just walk up to someone on the street and grab them and get right in their face, mask the mask, and go, Nick Cave. Uh, this was that Nick Cave show. See, 
at a couple of Nick Cave shows. You may say, why is this a um, brush with stardom? Well, here's why. Two of the five best shows I've ever been to are Nick Cave shows. Really, I mean, I can't see me ever passing another one up. I made the mistake of doing that one time. Not going to do that again. Thing with the Nick Cave show, you need to be in the front. You need to be within the first five rows or so because that's who he's interacting with. That's what he lives for. There's the stage, then there's risers, then there's the, the riot fence. Um, and he'll come up, you know, walk up, and whoever's given the most from the crowd, whatever section, that's where he'll be. So the one time, and then he'll lean out and we'll reach up and touch the Lord and hold him up while he's leaning over us. And one time he, that kind of didn't work out too well, so he kind of fell into the crowd and he was, his mic cord got wrapped around my right arm. And, oof, man, it was tight. <laughs> it, was, it was not pleasant. Not pleasant because he was kind of swimming his way the other way. And uh, I couldn't go because I wasn't being, you know, crowd surfed. So I, I got extricated from that. So I can I consider that. That's a brush with fame. That's a brush with holiness right there, man. That's gospel shit. Um, then another time... Um, I will try to remember to put up a link to the Austin City Limits version of Staggerly. He does this really great version of Staggerly. And he came, he was right above me, and he was doing the part where he's screaming, yeah, 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 yeah. And I was alternately terrified and overjoyed. Um, that was just wonderful. And another time, he didn't spend a lot of time where I was at this one concert, even though it was one of the best concerts I've ever seen, because other people were. There's people that cry at these things, and they know every word and every lyric. I don't know the, all the words to Happy Birthday. Um, so he didn't spend all that much time, but he did sing one of my favorite lyrics of his right when he was in front of me. And it's, uh, I've got a fetus on a leash. So that... That made the night worthwhile. Also at this show, what he was doing on this tour, he would come out in the crowd and work his way around in a clockwise motion. And then there was a camera stand that he would climb up onto. And then he would lead us all in this clapping thing in the, in the song. And then he would make his way back. And I was following him coming back. And... He was, let's go, great, let's go. He, the stage is in front of us, let's turn to our right, pretty much all the way around. And that's where the camera was, and then he's coming back around, so we're turning slowly to the left. And he's working his way through the crowd, you know, talking to people and saying, and it gets to me, almost to me, but then he gets, he turns, looks at me, comes up, takes both fists, and punch me in the chest. rapturous now that's an encounter with stardom didn't really feel it I mean he's, he's a pretty scrawny dude he's my age and scrawny I'm my age and I'm scrawny too but yeah, yeah I don't think he really meant to do anything except kind of say hello in his own Nick Cave way and then he went up on stage and then at that on this tour 
uh, you could go up on stage if you wanted. So like hundreds of people went up. It was really cool. And that is Brushes with Stardom, or whatever the fuck I'm calling this thing. Um, the music episode. I'm here at the... I'm sure you can hear that traffic. What's that mean? That's right, we're here at the Skybox. Me and you. And we're just here talking about shit. You haven't said much, but that's okay. You know why? Because I'll listen to your story later about your brushes with stardom. And you can tell me your brushes with stardom. How? Living Large and Hard is my vast empire on podcasts, whatever you're listening to this nonsense on. And thanks for doing that, by the way. Because um, I certainly don't listen to it. It's hard enough just to <laughs> just to say it one time rather than go back and listen to all the fuck-ups. There's also Living Large and Hard on Facebook and on Instagram. And I believe I have a Twitter account set up. I haven't figured out what I'm going to do with that exactly. So, anyway, it's easy enough to get a hold of me. Some of you have my actual phone number. and You can text me. You can use it. You can send an SMS. No emojis, please. Um, use words. Words are beautiful. So, we're here at the Skybox, you and me. And believe me, when you're listening, there's no one else listening. <laughs> basically, nobody listens to this shit except you. So it's just you and me. Though I think that's nice and intimate because it's you I'm talking to. I'm trying to get right in your fucking head. So we're here at Skybox, high above Route 309, where? Allentown, Pennsylvania. Now let's listen to that traffic. Uh, any feedback that you want to give me about anything? Love to hear it. Negative, positive, whatever. Uh, just let's chat. I mean, you're here, right? Here, give me a high five. All right, now let's go sanitize those hands before we touch anything else. Shit. Bye. <laughs>